Pushkin. The Black Keys are the last rock and roll band to really matter. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but if you can think of another rock band that broke out this decade with songs you couldn't escape and big arena shows, let me know. When they first came out in the early 2000s, their gritty blues sound was wild. You could have told me some of those songs were lost relics from the 50s and I would have believed it. Their sound really did develop a lot by the time they hit big with songs like Tighten Up and Howlin' For You. Now, after a five-year break, they have new music. That's from their new album, Let's Rock. They stopped by Shangri-La to catch up with Rick Rubin the day after launching their tour in LA to talk about the new record and to play some unreleased songs. This is Broken Records Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick's conversation with the Black Keys. How long has it been since you've toured? Uh, five years since we toured the U.S. Wow. And last night was the first show? And good vibe? Yeah, it was a little, we had some issues, some some ticket issues, but other than that, we had some scalpers screwing our fans last night. Yeah, but, some people um, got royally fucked last night. Yeah. We intentionally did a show that was a $25 ticket just for fans, and scalpers had tickets for $800. Wow. And they were fake. They, wow. People were coming to the to the box office with fake tickets that they paid $800 for. Wow. We kept the tickets cheap as possible. It made the news. Like, there were hundreds of people out in front wow. of the Wiltern. Wow. Um, really upset. It was such a bummer because it, our intention was to do one for the fans. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. sucks when... It's a it's a weird fucking time out there because we kept the tickets cheap. Um, Could you do another show for all the people with the fake tickets? Fuck that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, fuck it. I mean, like, this is the problem. I mean, we kept the tickets at $25. It yeah. was clearly stated on the tickets that they're non-transferable. And some people tried to sold them for $800. Six hundred dollars. That's the whole. That's the reason why our tickets on this concert, this tour right now, like the the cheapest tickets, like fifty bucks, and they go all the way up to five hundred. And the reason is because on the last tour, we we kept the tickets much cheaper, but they kept getting fucking scalped. And so we would go play a show. The, an equal amount of money that we made was made by scalpers. Scalpers are making as much money as us by fucking the fans. You know, there's a lot of issues with the music industry, and the thing is, is the person that actually has to actually gets fucked the most is the fan and the artist you know which is ironic because it's that's the most direct natural relationship in the music business um it was it was amazing though last night the energy was high and how what's the show like now once upon a time it was a two-piece group yeah what's the show like now it's the two of us plus three other people we have two guitars and a bass and um for the whole show whole show yeah and um we play songs from every record you know i mean even when we were doing two-piece records we were always overdubbing i would i would always overdub over to bass and second guitars and stuff double up guitar parts yeah it's cool as shit now to be able to hear those old songs with like three guitars doing one riff it's Mm -hmm. awesome it almost sounds more like the old records than we ever did which is kind of fun 
from the first album to now, what was the progression of the band mm. from from your perspective? Well, the the, I'm the I'm you got to understand that this is not story. like a normal okay. band. This is like not a normal band, you know, because like we started playing when we were sixteen and seventeen. Yeah. Before we were a band, you know, and we were we learned how to play together. So. So you've been playing together forever. I, forever. I, it's there was a, this is the first band I've ever been in. It's incredible. I found the other day, about six months ago, probably the first jam we ever recorded. Wow. It's on my phone. I can play it for you later. Yeah, and it was, we always recorded ourselves because that's what was so much fun was... The recording part. That's what we were into. Pat, I, the first time I ever saw a four-track was at Pat's house. Wow. So the beginnings of the Black Keys were recording. And we got a record deal before we ever played a show just because we were making recordings and we sent it to some labels and they gave us a deal yeah like the 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 foundation of the band is really that we grew up we grew up literally four or five houses from each other dan's a year older than me and our brothers were like best friends i was older brothers younger brothers but at one point our brothers like you guys should get together and jam you guys should get together and jam and one day dan brought his guitar down to my house and i had this drum set because i i bought like all the instruments so you need to have a band, uh, hoping that people would come over to my house so I could be in a band playing guitar. But Dan came down and just like started playing. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I guess I'm playing drums because he's so good at guitar. So what year was this? That was like 96, 97. And we recorded. I think this is one of those. Let's recordings. hear it. Let's hear it. I'm going to play this song. Yeah, yeah, please. It's six minutes long. So I'm just going to play a snippet. Man. I'll play a snippet. I'm just going to go. It's six minutes. I'm just, yeah, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna start it. I'm gonna start it a minute in, because there's probably just us fucking around for a minute. I I bought all these like. We went to the dump together, and I got like propane tanks and scrap metal. sound exactly the same i know when i heard it i was like holy shit it's unbelievable <laughs> it's the same nothing changed it's exactly the same isn't that insane yeah that's from day one without even without communicating about <laughs> what we were so gonna do funny this <laughs> is what happened it's like that's Arch- the, that literally sounded like us. you could have said that was us last night it could have and been. i would have believed it and it would have been like great. what is that audience it recording wow, great yeah <laughs> They killed it last night. I wonder what your dad was thinking when he was like hearing it. So funny. I mean, my dad's very encouraging. We were fucking getting out there. What the fuck were we doing, dude? That six minutes of us banging on propane tanks and riffing on the same. I would definitely listen to all six minutes. (laughs) It's good. I've listened to it. Tranced out. What the hell, Rick? Just because 
I just want you to hear this one thing. That, oh, we've never played this for anybody. Yeah, yeah. I won't play you a second of it. Okay. Okay. This is um. If anything, you're getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting worse. There's some really weird shit on this thing, but this is our demo, right? This is yeah. the so the day that Dan. <coughs> I think you only ever get worse. <laughs> this is the day that uh, that we that Dan was gonna. I was gonna record his band, and they never showed up, and we we made this recording. This is the the first song on our demo that we sent out that got us a record deal. Oh, 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 
That's incredible. You know what's incredible about that is this is no bullshit. We did six songs that day in an hour and a half. Yeah, and I hadn't. We had never played them together. I had never played drums in the pre- previous year and a half, and we instantly had arrangements. Instantly figured out all this shit we were gonna do. <laughs> Drum beats. I mean, it's fucking crazy. And when we, I took these recordings we made, and I sat and like mix, did these mixes, and I remember taking the CDR over to Dan's house like a week or two weeks later, and he called me. I left a message on my machine or something like later that day. Like, basically, he was like, we just got to start a fucking band. <laughs> like, this is fucking crazy. And I was like, yeah, we fucking do. And I called my brother. I was like, make a cover, a record cover, so we could mail this thing out. And Yeah, we were ready to make a record. We named the band <laughs> right then. You made a record. It was yeah. incredible. <laughs> and we it's named, incredible. Dan's like, what should we call the band? I was like, there's a mutual friend that we had, a mutual acquaintance this outsider artist guy who used to call people black keys is like we got to call it the black keys he's like it's the black key it was instant boom 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 within like two weeks of doing that we had made a demo we, where we made a cover we stan mailed them out to like 18 labels and within two weeks of that we had record deal the small little label in burbank and it, since that right then i told my dad like drop out of school make this record my dad actually came into i was working at a restaurant my dad came in to the restaurant with my grandfather and my grandfather had a phd he means very educated and i told him i was like, i won't drop out of school and my dad's like you uh, you gotta oh you shouldn't and my grandfather's like yeah you should do that give it a year or two and i was like Psh, there you go there we are but yeah so then that that's the history of the band is we made this record the big come up in my in my basement we would get together every day from like 10 to 3 and then i had to go to work and dan had to go play bars and we made this record, and then we put the record out, and we learned we had to go on tour for people to hear it. And we just got in a van with my brother Mike tagged along, and we we went around the country. We went out every weekend. We got all, offered a Sleater Kinney tour, we offered a Beck tour. We got signed to Fat Possum. We so then around that around that first record, uh, before we signed to Fat Possum, we kind of had. We had Seymour Stein coming out to our shows, and we had people kind of like really interested. And this is the time of like when the White Stripes first hit, you know, and Hives and Strokes, and we were kind of in that wave, you know. And, yeah. Um, everybody was looking for that. Everyone was looking for it, and so we had we were like sitting there talking talking to Seymour had Stein. You guys, had you guys heard all that music, or were you sort of just doing your own thing? Man, we had heard like Do Rag, all the Fat Possum stuff. The Strokes record came out right after we made this. It came out like September. After you made the demo. After we made the demo. But no, man, we I I didn't hear like the hives or the white stripes until fell in love with the girl or whatever that hive single had the in two thousand summer two thousand two, that stuff was really going on MTV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I heard that's when I was like, Man, like this there's a there's a wave of shit happening. There's that band that kind of disappeared, the vines. Yeah, I remember but, them. Yeah, but around that time, so we were getting we were we were getting calls from Seymour Stein on you know on our waiting around the answering machine. Like this is like, I remember reading the story of Devo. I think we're like living the same reality that Devo did twenty years ago, in like the same city, and here here we are getting calls from Seymour Stein, who wanted to sign us, and he's like, we're, I'm gonna send a contract your way. What's the best address? We're we're and he's like, it's gonna be there by November first. 
November 1st came and it didn't count, you know, n- nothing. And after, by November, I think it was like November 20th, no contract. And I called him. He's like, I can't get anything moving. Like, they're not sending it. What the fuck? And as Dan and I got together, I was like, if we signed to this label, they can't even get us a contract. Yeah. We're never going to make another record. We might get a couple hundred grand that we can spend on, or a hundred grand or something, but. It was the right move. Nothing we, happened with Seymour's We label. made the hardest decision, but it was like a no-brainer for us, which is like, instead of waiting around for this big check, this signed to Fat Possum for $12,000. And and make a record. And make a record. Yeah. And so we went into my basement and we recorded a record in one day. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, Fat Possum, those were our biggest heroes. Those were our heroes. Big, we were yeah, trying I mean, to get on Fat Possum on the demo. Yeah, yeah we hadn't heard of, the, of any of the Detroit bands. We didn't know of any of the, I've never heard of the Gories. But we were listening to T-Model Ford hard. Robert Belfour, mm-hmm. R.L., Junior Kimbrough, Captain uh, Hassel Atkins, you know. We were going We were going to see those shows. It, was, it wasn't just old records. And it, it was, was like real. It was local. Also, John Spencer yeah. you know Blues I mean? Explosion was yeah. a major thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I got a cassette tape of Orange by yeah. the John Spencer Blues Explosion, and that really helped me yeah. understand the Black Keys better when we were starting. In fact, when I listened to that, I still think Russell Simmons is one of my favorite drummers. Russell Simmons is probably one of the, is maybe the best living drummer. (laughs) Hell yeah. He he is. Yeah. I mean, him and Jeremiah Green from Honest Mouse are the two best drummers, rock and roll drummers. That's a statement. We'll be back with more from the Black Keys. Broken Record is presented by Lexus, which asks, what amazing ideas will you inspire next? Hey there, I'm Ashley Ford, host of the Chronicles of Now podcast. Chronicles of Now commissions amazing authors like Roxane Gay, Colin McCann, Carmen Maria Machado, and Curtis Sittenfield to write short fiction inspired by the headlines. Each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time, like what does COVID-19 do to our relationships? How do we make sense of climate change and extinction? And perhaps most mysteriously, What is going on with Trump's tweets? Because in such uncertain times, sometimes art, fiction, is the only way to make sense of it all. The show is great for fans of short speculative fiction, historical novels, podcasts that go behind the news, and narrative shows like Radiolab and The Moth. The Chronicles of Now is imaginative storytelling at its most compelling. Authors helping us understand our world. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. We're back at the Black Keys. So you did the first album. We did the first album, then we, uh, and then once we decided to sign the Fat Possum, we made a second record in a day. In- instantly. I, I was, this is pre-internet, so I was, Dan came over, we recorded this thing. The next day, I would make a mix I would burn a CD. I would drive it over to Dan's house. I, buy, I would drive home, and he would come back, turn the guitar down. And I'd, do it, and I'd go back, like, turn the guitar back up. Boom, 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 boom. I have a stack of these things. All in a day, I'd like, I just boom, 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 boom. And I FedExed it that night. It's like, boom, FedEx. And oh, my brother Mike and I went to Kmart and bought some Royal Crown hair pomade, took a picture of my hand dipping in it. It was like all done in a day. It's like, boom, fucking record's done. And that's how we, that was our MO. We just fucking moved like that, you know? And we made our third record in a rubber factory in Akron. Just, when we learned how to make records together, we were learning how it all worked. The first, in fact, the first three records, I don't think we, we never even had a compressor. 
we just didn't know that that was a thing. And did the first three records have many overdubs or not really? They had a few overdubs, yeah. Yeah, like the first, even the first record had some, had overdubs, mm -hmm. bass and tambourine. Did you record vocals live or was that done after? Mostly they'd be live, right? Vocals were mostly live. How did yeah. you do it with vocals and drums live or were you in a separate room? We were in the same room. Same room, they just bled. That was part of the sound, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the vocal mic was part, of, big part of the drum sound. Yeah, that was like yeah. a little bit. We you know actually when we first started, uh, there was a third guy. When we very first started, like that that demo, you can hear there's an organ just holding like one E chord or whatever. <laughs> and our friend Gabe, who we grew up with, was hanging around a lot. With I was hanging out with him a lot, and um, he was in the band. He was on the cover of the demo even, and then it came time to make the big come up. We we're making that record. And he just kept missing practices. And he didn't have a car, so we'd had to go pick him up and find him. And one day, he missed a, he missed like the third day in a row. He's actually on the first record on a couple of songs. He missed like the third or fourth day in a row. And I called him and I said, dude, what the fuck? You're going to blow it. This is like a thing. This is a good opportunity. He's like, I don't, want, I don't give a fuck about it. And I'm like, you're done. You're out. Fine. And I kicked him out. Uh... It was kind of up to me because he was like closer to me, but he was our friend. Hmm. But I think that that, if we hadn't have done that, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah. Absolutely would not have worked. Dan would have packed up and walked away <laughs> after that first tour. And, uh, but you know, I'm still in touch with Gabe and yeah. He, during, he had during, a band called Gap Dream that was on Burger. During the time that you were, you were working and you were playing in bars at night, what were you playing in a cover band or what was... i was basically doing i was playing three-hour sets in coffee houses and bars restaurants solo solo as a duo whatever they needed i would just sort of musician uh, for hire yeah, basically yeah and I, that's what i was recording some band demos so that i could get band gigs at places like bars in kent stuff like that so that's why i contacted pat in the first place we ended up uh but yeah no that's i was playing three hour gigs four nights a week and that was really good. mostly blues blues folk sam cook just songs i liked you know most of the time people weren't even listening you know sometimes it'd be acoustic real. guitar depended yeah. if i was playing like a brunch i'd play acoustic yeah. i mean he was, dan yeah. was really good I, I remember going to see him and being like yeah man i'm fucking lucky to be in a band with this motherfucker yeah well i mean it was a certain thing you know i mean I but like, doing the doing the thing with pat was different like i i was making really good money as a musician yeah you know and yeah. i was he had like a he had like a new car yeah i bought myself a nice minivan yeah. to gig in but doing an, an original project is just different yeah and I was totally willing to go play bars in Cleveland for $5. Yeah. Also. That was being a musician and this was being an artist. Yeah. What yeah. we did to get this, to get it going so we could go on tour was, I, I would actually play a couple of these like brunch gigs with him, just like barely touching the, uh, you know, yeah. not, <laughs> it was more like Dan just being like, yeah, I'll split this money with you just so we can get this shit going. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, you can help me mow lawns. And I'll split that with you too. So he would be out there weed whacking. That's when I found out I was allergic to fresh grass yeah. clippings. I see. Yeah, we were 
we were out there mowing lawns. But we had only had to work in the in the hood. <laughs> so <laughs> most of the job was just like clearing the yard of forty ounce bottles. It was picking up forties like and, and that was the long I mean the guy was a slumlord. And I say that and like people are like, Yeah, oh, don't be an asshole. I'm like, well, seriously, like all this shit just got condemned and got sued by the city of Akron for not paying taxes. We looked after his places. But he did he did <laughs> he did, he did pay me hundred and eighty dollars a week to mow like these postage stamp yards that were just littered with like Colt forty five caps and abandoned lots. And that was the minivan that we used to do shows in, so it always smelled like gasoline from the lawnmower. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I, you know, thinking about all of the shit that we've been through is is kind of it's in fucking intense. But you know, I, I do ultimately think that the the long way from the south of France. Well, well yeah, everyone's like, everyone's always like, everyone's like I went on vacation this summer to south of France, and everyone like our label president was like, I was like, I said I was like, oh yeah, I think I like the south of France more than uh, uh, Tuscany. He's like. And I sound like an asshole, yeah. But I was like, but to be fair, like twenty years of doing this shit, I go to fucking France for a couple months, couple absolutely, weeks. hell yeah. But um, I think that we, I mean, I think that some of the, some of the simplest decisions are the things that got that make it so that we're able to sit here eighteen years into this and talk to you. And one of them is k- kicking Gabe out of the band. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was the first and, good and, decision. And, and, and don't forget, I mean, I love this guy. You know, yes. what I mean, I do. But it was the fucking first great decision. Yeah. Second great decision, signing to Fat Possum. Yes, and and you realize that Dan and I had a, an agreement basically without an unspoken agreement that we would both put up with this shit. We basically signed up for like four years of remedial fucking rock and roll work <laughs> right then. We're like, we're going to go to fucking pay our dues. Yeah. But that led us to the fact that we, by the, we didn't hit like mainstream success till our sixth record. Yeah. Which I think is the other great decision, great yeah, accident, yeah, yeah. which is because if we would have had that shit on our second record, we would have imploded. Yes. We saw it happen. Like the first time we played a real, a real, a real gig, and I mean, we played LA before this. But the first time we had a real gig here, where, where people were going to come out just to see us, was at the at the time it was called the, not the Satellite. Well, I forget, whatever it's called, the Satellite. It's in Silver Lake, but we were it was our our record release party for th- for Thick Freakness, and the opening band was Jet. No one had ever heard of them. We never heard of them. And within within weeks. They were like on the cover of NME. They were selling, they sold millions of albums. They were headlining and, all the festivals that we were just doing the noon slots. We to. were playing like the small tent. They were headlining. And within a year of that, that was April 8th of 2003. By Summer Sonic or whatever, uh, Fuji Rock, August of 2004, we saw those guys. One year and like three months. Those dudes were burned out. They were fucking done. We saw that happen. A band go from nothing to the fucking biggest thing to then talking to them and then like fucking flamed out. Flamed out. We're like fuck, man. And we're like fuck. We dodged that fucking bullet. And we kept dodging. We, 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 then Wolf Mother was opening up for us in London. That that falls, falls two thousand four, and boom, same shit. We're like fucking like we're like basically human like centipede like do- dodging <laughs> this shit like like how the fuck are we still doing this? Incredible. Yeah, it's like. Well, human centipedes is that fucking scary German uh, movie. I, I guess what I meant is we're we're uh, we're like be- uh, missile command of this motherfucker. Like, you know, we've always fucking... we've always just done what we wanted to do. 
Yeah. You know what? Yeah. By the sixth record, yeah. we'd made five records on our own. Yeah. And we wanted to record in a fucking studio for, yeah. let's, for once. Let's fill in the... So the first three you said were pretty similar in the way you did it. The first what, four. four. First four. And then what, what made five different? Five was that we were writing songs that were going to be an Ike Turner comeback record. Or Ike Turner record. The whole, that, al the whole album the whole you album. did with the concept, your internal concept that was unspoken. No, no it was spoken. The Danger Mouse called us and said, I'm making a record with Ike Turner. You guys write the songs. You guys are the band. I'm gonna produce. I see. So we would go to dance. We this is the first so time before we Brian learned about songwriting royalties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we would go to dance and make. We basically it's the last time we really made demos for an album. We, yeah. We basically made all these songs, and after like two months of doing this, we finally get we got like two or three songs back. Last time or first time? I, well, I'm saying like we. It's the last time. And it's probably the first time. No, but I'm saying it sounds like up till then you didn't really do our demos. demos are our, all our records. Yeah, yeah so I yeah. guess it is our first time. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first time you recorded something that was not necessarily going to be your record. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So we took the exactly. So we were waiting for this record to get done, and yes. it was months and months of waiting. And we we're like, we can't sit around and wait for this shit. And yeah. I, I actually flew out to L.A. We would met Brian at Coachella that April of 2007 and i flew out here for like a weekend vacation in may and i met up with brian and without even asking dan i was like would you produce a record for us not the, and scrap this like idea take these songs and make a keys record he's like i would i would love to do that and i called dan I was like do you, can we do this do you want to do this and he's like yeah fuck yeah let's do that so dan picked the studio we did a record with brian attack and release and the, the whole concept was that we were going to approach that record for the first time with total disregard of how we were going to perform the songs live. So we were going to get to use all these keyboards that we had bought, and we are going to get to like not be afraid to make a bass line prominent in a mix, all that kind of bullshit that we should have. this is the fifth album. It's our fifth album. Release. Yeah, and that, then Dan put out a solo record after that, We made, and then we got back in the studio and made this hip-hop record, which we were kind of focusing on cutting stuff like bass and drums and... It was like kind of more groove oriented, you know. Like yeah, it was fun. We it was for for the first time we were starting with bass and drums, and it changed the dynamic. Changed, but it was but it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and we went right from that. That was July of two thousand and nine. So you would you would write a bass and drum track, and then play, and then add guitar to it, mm -hmm. and add some melody and guitar. I see. But we did that in, in like June, July, two thousand nine. We in all, in all songs, does do the does the track come first and then the vocal ideas? Sometimes it's simultaneous. Yeah. Sometimes we were, I, I've always got a vocal mic there to to try stuff. But we from working that way, we also we booked time at Muscle Shoals, and we had this engineer from San Diego, Mark Neal, come out in, in August. Of Mark Neal's is really eccentric dude from uh, Georgia, um, highly intelligent, knows everything there is to know about old school recording, especially old school American recording. And um, he engineered all the stuff for us down there in Muscle Shoals. Mm -hmm. The drums, and we used his drums. He had beautiful Gretsch drums. Oh, yeah. And he only used like two or three mics on, on the drum kit. Awesome. And what did you record at Muscle Shoals? What was it? Brothers. Brothers. Uh, August of 2009, right after the hip-hop record, we went down there, and 
I, I think thinking of in terms of like the, these hip hop kind of grooves. I mean, we were pumping out songs a day, a song a day. So you went into the studio without having material pre-written, right? It wasn't anything. There were we actually had a couple songs that were we recorded a couple weeks earlier at dance studio. That those actually those versions all made the record. Like she's long gone. The ones from dance studio. The ones that were we did at dance studio. We just kept those recordings. Yeah, we in. were yeah. just basically in the same headspace. So. We just we were like li- literally like. It was a weird thing because we took this six months off for the first time in 2009. And I was like, I mean, I was like, but that was after like 10 years. It was after like six, seven, eight years. But I, I, I was like, I don't know what this means. Dan's making a solo record. I need to be worried. Like, and then finally I was like, no, he just needs to do his own thing. Yeah. And then it's like when we got back together, it was like we were we were better than we were before. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I fast forward to right now for a second. Like, I feel like last night's show was probably better than any show we've played. A long time ago i'm like the break works but we we made brothers in like 10 days we fucking end up this record i'm like and songs like 10 cent pistol or sinister kid or these things are like heavy fucking groups unlike anything we'd done before and are you still operating with the idea of doesn't matter if you can play it live yeah did it shift on the fifth album to just be that's the new standard on uh, that touring that fifth album was where it got a little hairy where like some of these songs just yeah didn't really work like as a two-piece so when did you add when did you start adding people on the brothers tour the first time we ever played was a four-piece was at madison square garden opening for pearl jam we'd never played we didn't do any warm-up <laughs> it was like right out in front of twenty thousand people you know like how a bunch was that of, show do you remember how how the show was it was fine <laughs> i don't remember i you know what i remember i remember that I remember the whole fucking place shaking backstage. Remember that when the crowd started to to go crazy yeah. for Pearl Jam. Our, it was the same day our record came out. That's what I remember. Brothers came out and we played Madison Square Garden, and then it was like a week later we go to dinner at Cafe Jeton with the label, and <laughs> like you know, very New York City thing to do, and. uh There is nothing like your first show at Madison Square Garden, though. That's a real thrilling feeling. What to be there with Pearl Jam, I mean, it was, it was what the, it was all overshadowed for me because of this dinner we had a week later, which was like our label president was like, "You sold seventy three thousand records," and the, I was like, "What the fuck? Are you, are you serious?" I mean, we were our previous record had sold like twenty, and I hear seventy three thousand. I was like, "What does that mean?" Like, I don't know. People like it, and then the next week it had sold like fifty more, and we're right. like, "Fuck." About a month or two months later, it was still selling like twelve thousand copies a week. I was like, "Well, we have like a fucking hit record. We have like a fucking actual hit record. We had no radio play at this point." And then the songs started playing at radio, and it was like, "Fucking hell, what the fuck just happened? This is how and this it works. is album six. This is album six. I was like, this is it. We're like, we have a <laughs> we have a fucking gold record. We have a fucking platinum record. We're playing the SNL." We're headlining fucking Coachella. We're you know, like all this shit just kind of started rolling, and it, that for me it's just like a smear. Yeah. 2010 to the time we play Outside Lands in 2015. Yeah, we that we play that show and we just on break. Wow, four years. Wow, till last night. Wow, we got to, we got back in the studio a year so ago. Eight year build up, <laughs> eight year sort of yeah working your way up. Yeah. And then a, f- a solid five-year run. How many yeah. albums? So Brothers, what's after Brothers? Brothers, El Camino, Turn Blue. 
So three albums and big tours. Each one of those records sold in the U.S. Well, Brothers and El Camino, over two million in the U.S. I mean, we sold like seven million records worldwide on yeah. those records. Yeah. And then once again, without really even talking to each other, we just went on a break. It, there was no big plan. It was just sort it of was a, a... It was just not... It was like Dan needed a break. Yeah. I, and I was like... Cool. And, you know, and we did it. And then, I, you know, there's points in that time of where I was getting frustrated, like just like, because it just didn't know what was happening. But you were producing other projects. You were both producing we were, other we projects. We were both busy, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was more like, we finally had this talk. It was like, it was like, I was like, understood, like, oh yeah, Dan just needs to do what he's got to do. Yeah. It's all good. And this band is special enough that like, we can't be doing it if it sucks. Like, for one of us, like, if, if it can't be doing it if it's stressful and it's not fun. Yeah. So the whole year, we get, we went back in the studio a year ago to start this record and the whole part of the time we've been talking is just like how do we do this do this band so it's fun and so so we don't have to do 95 shows a year and play the spike tv video game awards and all this <laughs> dumb shit that people ask you to do yeah. it's like that doesn't that's a that's a waste of my day someone's willing to flush my day and not just that day like the day getting there the day yeah. going home just flush a whole fucking week down the toilet to play Spike TV video game awards. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not what we're doing. It's like, so actually, that's why we figured out a plan that I think has been working, which is like, don't even look at SoundScan. Yeah. Don't fucking bundle anything. Yes. Play shows that yes. are fun. Make records that are fun. Yes. And the only press... Bring our old friends out to play with us. Bring People our friends that we've out. known for 20 years. It's beautiful. And we're the only press we're really doing is like, we did... We're doing your podcast. We did the Joe Rogan podcast. Great. We did a couple of interviews, and that that's fucking it's an album cycle for perfect. us. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Sounds really healthy, and it sounds like yeah. it'll be fun to make music. You'll probably make more of it, and you'll do it for a longer time. That's the idea. And enjoy life. I think the other the, the other step <laughs> imagine to imagine that the, yeah. the other step to it is like figuring out that thing that we started this conversation with, which is how we could use our agency. Yeah. in the business yeah. to highlight other artists, which we've been trying to do for years. I mean, Dan and I, between the two of us, have, have worked on something like 60 albums. Wow. And no one knows that. Yeah. You know, I was like, that's, I was talking to our manager, like, that's a bit of a problem for us. Like, when the, the person standing in the front of the show last night doesn't know one-tenth of the music that Dan and I have made over the last 18 years. Yeah. And there's some good shit in there. Yeah. But it, it, it applies to all of our friends in the music business who make records. And no one fucking knows. It's hard because it's hard to discover it. Yeah. So I think that we're going to try to, rather than spend, you know, 150 days on the road, try to spend like 50 days on the road and spend 100 days at home figuring out how to fix that. That's great. Yeah. Beautiful. When we come back, Rick talks to the Black Keys about some of their new songs. Broken Record is presented by Lexus, which asks... What amazing ideas will you inspire next? We're back with more of Rick's conversation with the Black Keys. Let's listen to a couple of songs on the new album. Do you want to um, sure. play, play, play some and then we'll talk about them?
So tell me the process. How'd that one come about? That one came about, we, uh, Pat brought a drum machine over and it, um, it did a little, uh, you could kind of manipulate the drum machine, and uh, but it also had a little kind of bass line that it did, like a little rhythm bass, you know what I mean? And it had a little foot controller that would change major or minor. Um, no, it was. Yeah, you could. Is that what it was? Yeah, and then I was playing bass with it, and I was changing major or minor, and Pat was manipulating the drum machine. Yeah, we both, I've, I found this drum machine on Reverb, this is like a website. It's like kind of like eBay for musical instruments. That is kind of amazing. And uh, I found this drum machine that I bought because it looks so ridiculous. It's called like an auto orchestra. And uh, I was like, that's just the kind of thing that a song comes out of. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just the kind of thing that it will make a fucking great song. So I brought it over to Dan's studio, and I was like. Fuck, Dan has the same fucking drum machine. <laughs> I've never seen another one. I think the only other guy crazy enough to buy this shit is Dan. <laughs> but only he didn't, he was missing the crucial component, which is this keyboard thing. So we hooked it up. I mean, that song kind of came out within like an hour, like the, the music. And that's the only song that has any sort of synth, synthetic uh, uh, sound. You know, yeah. everything else is organic, real bass, real guitar. There's no keyboards on the record except for that little pad and then when did the vocal idea come uh that 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 was all afterwards i mean it was just that song so you, started so you as built just a track base you built it you know what i played it from the start to the bottom without it an edit i just made we just made it yeah it just popped right out i had the intro yeah and then the this is this feels like verse it feels like second verse here's my turnaround and i'm just thinking and playing and it's just a live take. And then I just started to layer the instruments on it. And it, it just kind of popped in there. So cool. Yeah. You want to play one of the live, more live tracks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one. I'm going to play this one just because it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorites on the record, but I don't know if anybody else even likes it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, here we go. Under, it's called Under the Gun. that one happen guitar and drums guitar and drums and vocal and just through jamming yeah it just arrived oh yeah um we had this turn dan just played the this kind of kinksy it reminded me of the kinks but actually i think i don't know it reminds me of a few different things but it it was just to me it was a, it kind of complicated the song because it, to me it was such a hook that we at one point we had it like 15 times in the song <laughs> and then we kind of cut it back i still don't i, I don't know I, I love it 
I think it's one of those things where it's like it's the it's the second to last song on the record, yeah. and you can just goes to prove that most people don't listen to the whole albums. So <laughs> that was the first song that probably would have been to me. It would have been a single. Cool. I think. I mean, I play. I sent it to our our our, our, our person that does radio. I was like, I think that check that out might be a good single. And I, no no response. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know, man. What the fuck do we know? Thanks to Dan and Patrick of the Black Keys for spending time with us at Broken Record. Their new album, Let's Rock, is out now. You can check out more of the new record by visiting brokenrecordpodcast.com and subscribing to our playlist for the episode. You can also sign up for our behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Mia Lobel. Our theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Leonard Cohen's son, Adam, as he talks about his late father's new album. I'm Justin Richmond. Thanks for listening.